did you find Junior? Junior? Dad? Please, what does it always mean? Is this Junior? That's his name. Henry Jones Junior. Like Indiana. We named the dog Indiana. Maybe go home now, please. The dog? <laughs> you are named after the dog? <laughs> you got a lot of fond memories of that dog. <laughs> Indiana Jones teams up with his father to find the holy grail of ancient artifacts, the actual holy grail. Special guests Shahir Down and Matt Kroll from the only podcast about movies join us to chat about the real threat of ninjas, Harrison Ford's broken smile, and sex-positive Nazis. Choose wisely and listen to us find out if Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of The Test of Time. I am really excited as we wrap up our Indiana Jones trilogy. I am Alan Noah, and I've got three other people here with me today. Of course, as always, my co-host, James Brief. Hi, everyone. We have some great guests here with us, Al. I'm so excited for today's episode. Yes, that's right. We are joined once again by our friends Shahir Dowd and Matt Kroll from the only podcast about movies. Guys, welcome. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, James. Good to see you guys again. When was the last time we were here? The last time you were on here was to talk about the paper. Yeah, if I remember correctly, Matt was going to pick the next movie. Was this your choice, Matt? No! (laughs) How dare us! (laughs) How dare all of us! Shame for shame. That's okay. You know what? That's my bad, and Matt, I apologize. I got really amped on this idea of doing a trilogy of episodes about Indiana Jones and having a different guest on for every episode. And I I forget if you guys had mentioned Indiana Jones or something, but I just, I thought of you guys for it. So I pulled you in and next time we will do, what was it? You picked something. It's going to be Cats. That movie's only a year old and it has not stood the test of time, my friend. Oh, no, we have to <laughs> test it. We have to make sure. Uh, I have They Live. Was that the one yeah, you requested? Yeah, I bet you it was. That sounds like me. Okay. See, I keep a Google Doc because I'm not <laughs> going to remember. There's no way. Uh, but I'm I'm really glad that you guys are here to talk about Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. So while we were emailing, Shahir, you had mentioned that you remember seeing this movie in the theater. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember. I, I It was probably like this run where my brother would take me to movies on a Saturday night. Uh, And the three that I remember, and these are not close together, but I remember my brother waking me up one morning and saying, hey, this movie won Best Picture. This is not Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, by the way. But he was like, like, hey, this movie won Best Picture. Do you want to go see it tonight? And I was like, okay, cool. I was like 10 years old or something at the time. And it was Dances with Wolves. So I remember very vividly going to see Dances with Wolves the night after it had won Best Picture. And then I also remember my brother taking me to Terminator 2, White Men Can't Jump, and then Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, I saw Temple of Doom on VHS, and I don't believe I saw Raiders until later in life. 
Interesting. So you went reverse chronological. Yeah, yeah, I did go reverse chronological, and and uh, <laughs> that might actually be my ranking as well. <laughs> really interesting, Matt. What, what's your relationship with? Indiana Jones kind of in general and Last Crusade like specifically. So I was a Temple of Doom kid. Like Okay. That was my absolute jam and I have to be honest when I was a child child I was bored to tears with the other two movies. Ooh, uh, wow. I, for whatever reason, I don't know why, just the faux and, and rather insulting mysticism of Temple of Doom <laughs> and like the ridiculousness of it all, I think it felt like a live action cartoon. <laughs> and I think I really dug that. So then I, I specifically remember seeing Temple of Doom first, then uh, Raiders, and then Last Crusade, That in that order. And I remember liking Raiders fine. And I remember, weirdly enough, it's funny now because I, this has totally changed as I've grown up. I remember that um, Last Crusade bored me to tears when I was a child. And I I think it's because, I have a couple of theories. There's a lot more, I don't want to say adult themes, because that that has a weird connotation. That's not exactly what I mean in this case. It's more like there are complex adult relationships throughout this movie that I feel like familial, etc., that just sort of add on to what's going on. It's no longer a cartoon. It's not just about a thing. It's about sort of like family and... and, uh, I don't know, the complexities of that and uh, add into the fact that I did not go to church in any Catholic or or Christian sort of faith. And I was just like, what is the grail like for Monty Python? I'm like, "Okay, that movie's better. (laughs) Like, uh, so anyway, that, of course, has changed. I I feel like Last Crusade is probably my absolute favorite as an adult. Because of those very reasons, I think, that it bored me as a child. So I've gone all over the place. And so, yeah, out of the only three Indiana (laughs) Jones films ever made, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would have to say that Last Crusade is my absolute favorite. All right. James, what about you? You know, I remember seeing this in a theater. I don't remember exactly when. It may have been with Camp. And I'm actually going to skip ahead and uh, talk about the summer of 1989. Uh, <laughs> this movie came out on May 24th, 1989. It was Memorial Day weekend, so it earned $29 million over the weekend, $37 million over the three-day Memorial Day weekend. Uh, number one, $474 million uh, worldwide. It was the number one movie of the year worldwide. But Ooh. actually, in America, it was number two. Uh, can you guess what the number one film Americans were obsessed with this in that summer? Ooh, 1989. It's not Back to the Future. That's too early. It's not Ghostbusters. That's 84. I'm going to give you a hint. This oh, wait. Ca- no, 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 no. I got it. <laughs> okay. Batman. Yes. It is Michael Batman. Keaton, uh, yeah. Tim Burton, Batman. Oh, my God. In New Zealand, it was the number one movie of all yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That was wow. huge. Uh, number three was Lethal Weapon 2. We've never done that series, out. We'll oh, I love the Lethal Weapon oh, yeah, series. It's great. Yeah. Um, we did number four. That actually won Best Picture that year. It has Dustin Hoffman in it. Rain Man. Rain Man, yeah. that's right. And, yeah. you know, the irony here is that uh, Spielberg was working on Rain Man as a project for himself at one point, but abandoned it after a while, and then uh, Barry Levinson picked it up, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's who directed it. Yeah. Uh, number five was a fantastic Rick Moranis film. Uh, huge hit. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? That's right. Yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, number six, this was John Travolta's first comeback after his, oh. you know, bad age. Oh, look, look who's talking. That's right. You guys are good yeah. at this. Yeah. Number seven <laughs> is a sequel that I didn't like. Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2. 2. That's right. Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. 
Number eight, uh, uh, Dead Poets Society. Oh, first movie that made me cry. I remember vividly, wow. like, that was the movie that made me cry and uh, changed everything. Right. Uh, number nine, uh, this is a film starring, a huge hit starring Steve Martin, directed by Ron Howard. Oh, it's not Parenthood. That is Parenthood. It is Parenthood? Yeah, okay. So we did the paper the last time. This run right? of Ron Howard's, which is Splash Parenthood in the paper, I think it is. Uh, great run. Yeah, it's great stuff. The, the uh, number 10 film of the year is the sequel to uh, mine and Al's favorite, one of our favorite films of all time. Back to the Future Part 2? That's correct. Yes. I mean, it it goes on and on. I mean, uh, when Harry met Sally and Uncle Buck and Field of Dreams. Wow. Twins. Like, this was a huge year. The Abyss, uh, Major League, films that we've done. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Karate Kid Part 3. Also, so many films that have itched themselves into, like, the permanent history of cinema. Oh, yeah, Do the Right Thing. That year was the onslaught of the independent filmmaking movement. Six Lies and Videotapes might have come out as well. That's exactly correct. It's right here, number 48. Uh, That was Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I'm now going to look at the website. I want to (laughs) see. But also, most importantly, coming in at number 81, perhaps the most important film of the year, we will do a six-week deep dive, perhaps, Al, maybe seven-week. Ooh, Police Academy weeks? Six. Oh wow! Sweet oh, <laughs> Lord Jesus, no! I rewatched the Police Academy series last year. I think I watched the first three of them, and it's really interesting because they were like VHS staples in my house that I, you know, like that were on repeat. Number three was at our house. Um, the first one is a little bit darker than I remember it being. Like the thing watching it was like, man, Steve Gutenberg. Why wasn't he like a Harrison Ford type figure? Because he's so great. In that movie, or in, in the entire series, he's like, he carries those movies with like an effortless charm. Yeah, he had a moment. He was in Cocoon. That was a massive yeah. hit. But he Another just Ron Howard movie. winds up having more hits. That That's just uh, what yeah. happened to him. Whereas Harrison Ford kept having movies like Last Crusade and then Air Force One. And, you know, he yeah. had a lot of, uh, he had a lot of misses, Harrison Ford. But he yeah. had a lot of hits in there. Holy shit. I, I got to say, number 178 for this year <laughs> is American Ninja 3 Blood Hunt. <laughs> and that is a film that I cannot believe made almost a million dollars. And only in 140 theaters. So that's kind of crazy. Uh, that's the one where the American Ninja's mentor, if I remember correctly, gets kidnapped and they're making new cybernetic ninjas with quote-unquote steel alloy muscles. <laughs> what the actual fuck? Yeah. The yep. 80s and the 90s like fooled me into believing that ninjas were a much greater threat to my security than yeah. I was led to believe. I was right. very big into ninjas, specifically one Japanese uh, actor named Shokosugi, Three Ninjas was the the one that uh, we watched on repeat as well. Same. But let's just go back to Last Crusade. For anyone who hasn't seen it, first off, just shame on you. But it is the third big screen outing of archaeologist Indiana Jones. And Indy's father, Henry, has long been obsessed with finding the Holy Grail, a cup that supposedly brings immortality. While searching for the Grail, Henry goes missing, and his backer, Donovan, encourages Indy to search for his lost father. Indy contacts Elsa, who is working with Donovan, but not in the way Indy thinks. Because Elsa and Donovan are both Nazis. Don't you hate it when that happens? I hate Nazis, really. I I hate 
Nazis <laughs> out. Is that a controversial take in 2023? <laughs> that's a very that's very brave. Yeah. Well, similar to India. Indy says yeah. the same thing. I love when he goes, Nazis. I hate I these hate guys. Nazis. But Al, yeah. tell us more about this film. Sure. So Indy rescues his father, retrieves Henry's journal, and they team up with their old friends Sala and Marcus Brody to recover the priceless artifact. The Nazis find its resting place first, but Donovan chooses poorly and dies after drinking from a false grail. Indy, his father, and their friends leave the grail behind, riding off into the sunset together. And there's been a lot of stuff written about the making of this movie and how Temple of Doom was this dark outlier and Lucas and Spielberg wanted to kind of come back to their roots and do something that was more fun, like the first movie. And so this movie really does have that kind of Raiders vibe throughout. It, it kind of makes Temple of Doom stand out more when you look at the trilogy as a whole, but also the fact that they cast uh, Sean Connery as Indy's father. We talked about this in our Raiders episode that uh, Spielberg always wanted to direct a James Bond movie. So who is he going to get to play Indy's father? James Bond himself, even though Sean Connery was only like 12 years older than Harrison Ford. Yeah. Makeup and whatever. They make him look old and it totally, totally works. And Harrison Ford is always being suspiciously old. <laughs> I mean, how old was he when he did uh, The Last Crusade? Was he like in his late 40s, perhaps? That seems about right, because he didn't get his start until, what, he was 30, mid-30s, right? Yeah. He, he was born in 42, so when this movie came out, then he would have been uh, 47. Right, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the other thing about Harrison Ford, it was the first time I knew that my mom had a crush on an actor, but it, would, it, like, <laughs> it wasn't just like passing. There was details involved that she would tell me about. I, I remember this very vividly. She was like... He looks and acts like he doesn't know he's attractive. He's got this smile about him that was always an awkward smile. He doesn't give you like a Tom Cruise smile. He gives you a smile that's kind of broken and doesn't quite finish correctly. And she said, I love that. She was like, I'm, I'm into that. And I was like, okay. So from that point on, whenever I watch a Harrison Ford movie, you know, in Patriot Games, Air Force One, The Fugitive, all those movies came out, I was like, that's my mom's guy. Your mother has excellent taste. Yeah, she does. In interviews, he's always felt very like old and cranky. Yeah, yeah. Like before he was old, like in the 90s when he would be asked about like Han Solo or Indiana Jones, he would just be like, I don't want to talk about that. But I think... In addition to his kind of gruffness, he always has been somewhat self-effacing and just kind of like, you know, he doesn't seem yeah. to carry himself like a movie star. Like, doesn't he live in like Wyoming or something? He seems just like not so into the whole Hollywood movie star thing. I also love when people ask him about Star Wars and he's like, fuck off. You know, like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I just I like, it's one of my favorite <laughs> things when he's on Fallon and someone asks him about Chewbacca and he's like... I don't give a shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's a guy who loves what he does. He does love being an actor because obviously he does not need to do any of this stuff, especially some of the smaller things he's doing now, like these shrinking shows. Yeah, he's getting good money for it, but, uh, you know, I don't think he needs to do it. I think the guy loves acting. Uh, I mean, Han Solo, he was never super into, but I think he's always uh, been into the Indiana Jones role. He was very eager to do uh, uh, a fourth one. Wait, there was a fourth one? <laughs> <laughs> 
Are you talking about Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, the 1992 LucasArts point-and-click adventure game? <laughs> fantastic game. Uh, yes, fantastic uh, uh, game. I, I do want to plug it. You know, another plug I want to say, I know it's only halfway through, I still think you guys have the greatest title for of any podcast. The only <laughs> podcast about movies. We talked about it. I just, uh, It's a great podcast, but also just a great title. I love it. The, the the least amount of effort went into making that title, just so you know. <laughs> the listeners at home can decide where the asterisk lives in that mm. title. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is one. Mm. Uh, no, but thank you very much. That's very that's very nice. Yeah, I, I, but also Harrison Ford, he just is kind of a curmudgeon. I mean, you know, sometimes there's these people that act like they don't like being famous, but that's kind of their shtick. You know, they don't care how cool and famous they are. The only other actor I've seen that resemble him a little bit, although this actor's a little more into being famous, is Nick Offerman. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, he's real man's man. And I think, you know, both of them kind of just would rather be uh, woodworking than, uh, you know, being an actor and going on all these press junkets and all of that. You know, the thing about Harrison Ford that I've never quite understood is the earring. There's just something anachronous about that earring, which is just I can't quite figure out because I think he still wears it to this day, right? I think so. Didn't that start when he was like first dating Callista Flockhart and then it was like the the <laughs> the tabloid magazines of the day were like it's a midlife crisis, he's dating a a younger woman and he got his ear pierced and and all that. The other thing about Harrison Ford is like, yes, the smile might be awkward, but he's a devastatingly handsome dude who wears a suit well, uh, who looks like he could be the president as well as Dr. Richard Kimball. Earring or no earring, it all plays. Yeah. So we've already sort of discussed how he doesn't need the money. He likes the acting. And he also says, fuck off when you talk about things like Star Wars. Why the hell do we think he's going to be playing Thunderbolt Ross in Captain America Brave New World? Like, is he trying to make sure his grandchildren's grandchildren are set? I think that's exactly what it is. I would just say that they they came to him with a ton of money. I agree, and I think this is just easy money, too. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, the actor, uh, uh, it was uh, William Hurt. William Hurt, yeah. You know, he passed away, and they had to recast the role, and Harrison Ford was available. He's doing other series right now. You know, I think the fact that he's done series, I think he realizes this really isn't that bad. It's not like going to Tunisia for, uh, you know, for four months and being away from your family. I think it's yeah. kind of easy money for him. It's probably easy. It's a lot of green screen. He's used to that. I think you also do get at this age. Yeah, he doesn't need the money, but if it's going to be like, what, a week on the set and you're going to give me 10 million bucks or something? Like, sure, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like, when they announced that they were going to make another Star Wars movie, the first thing that popped into my mind was like, well, they're not going to get Harrison Ford back because for years and years and years, he was like gruff and angry and pissed off about it. And he would say that, I don't want to talk about that. I'm never going to have anything to do with that again. And then he showed up and he kept showing up and then he started doing TV and more Indiana Jones and like Yellowstone or whatever, or it, the Yellowstone spinoff, maybe? I don't even know. <laughs> but like, it does seem to me that he's kind of done a 180 on some of this stuff. And my guess is it's just to make sure that Harrison Ford's great, 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 great grandchildren will all be super taken care of. Because why not? Like, what the hell else is he doing? I mean, he's doing quality things. Uh, I mean, he's not doing Air Force One 2. And, you know, he's not milking <laughs> everything. He could get Air Force Two made. Of course, Netflix would make that film. I think he's being discerning with it. 
Well, I also think the other thing that's happened in the last 10, 15 years is that Harrison Ford has cemented himself in some way as irreplaceable to the franchises that he belongs to. Like Star Wars, you know, tried to do a solo movie with uh, Alden Ittenrock, I think his name was. And as much as I loved that guy, it became very apparent that there is only one Harrison Ford and there was no replacing him. With Indiana Jones, uh, Shia LaBeouf was sort of brought in to kind of like take the mantle of the franchise in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And was like, no, this ain't going to happen. You know, like there's just, there's nothing that works quite as well as Harrison Ford in those roles. I think the thing about him, again, that's really works for him is he doesn't exceed his grasp ever. He never takes a role that I think challenges you to think, what is Harrison Ford's personality type? Like every film is a kind of variation of what we're expecting Harrison Ford to do. And he's always successful in all of those roles. He's got that sort of natural, gruff, you know, on-screen persona. He's got the awkward smile going. Uh, I was listening to the rewatchables this week, which had uh, a discussion about The Last Crusade. And, you know, the thing they said about him uh, in, in regard to Indiana Jones is you believe him as an academic as well as someone who could beat up, uh, you know, like henchmen on the street and, you know, fly a plane, you know, be be called to action. And there's very few people that kind of, like, make that balance really, really work well. Right. When you say Crystal Skull here, <laughs> do you mean the 2003 action-adventure film from LucasArts, uh, Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, there is uh, some reference to the Emperor's Tomb, I guess. Okay, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure I've seen all these. You know what's funny is I, I, I re-watched Crystal Skull, and I, uh, I saw Crystal Skull in the theater as well. And it plays better than I remember. It's not good. Don't get me wrong. It is not good. But it plays better than I remember. I I, I do agree with you there. And, uh, you know, I mean, you were just mentioning that, you know, they almost handed it off to Shia LaBeouf. And, you know, just looking at what happened in the last year or two, what a shame that Hollywood didn't give uh, uh, Ki-Hoi Kwan, the actor that played Short Round, the the roles that that he obviously could handle. Because... What a great uh, idea, you know, coming after all these years. Short round saves the day, and then it's handed yeah. off to him and a bunch of adventures with him with Indy mentoring, and and they can hug again. It would be the same hug that they do in Temple of Doom, yeah. but reversed, uh, you know, what could have been. Yeah, when he says, I love you, Indy, in uh, Temple of Doom, I love it. I have been listening along to uh, every episode uh, that you guys have been Thank doing you. on this. Uh, I think they're great, by the way. Thank you. There was a moment I was listening to Temple of Doom because I know that Temple of Doom has been maligned as uh, insensitive and culturally uh, inappropriate. And, you know, I think um, a a lot darker than the other two. Although, you know, like, you got to admit Raiders of the Lost Ark has kind of a fairly dark ending to it. Sure. But uh, there's a weird thing, which is (laughs) in my family. So I'm Indian. I grew up in Fiji. And... We all loved Temple of Doom because it was set in India. And it was like this weird thing, which is that we understood that the representation of Indians was challenging and not accurate. In a weird way, we understood that the people who made it were foolish you know, like it, like okay. we sort of watched it with that context, and you guys were talking about the the sort of the famous scene where um where they're eating monkey brains and the beetles and the eyeball soup and all that sort of stuff. Right, snake surprise. Yeah, my wife and I watched that recently. We were laughing. We were like wondering if we should show that to our son, who's also Indian, obviously. Um, there's a scene earlier when Indy arrives at the village. It's a very poor village. Their children have been taken. And there's a scene where they, you know, where he says, this is more food than any of them will have in a week. And like, to us, that was like, 
very accurate. You know, like that. Okay. that's like the sort of thing in Indian culture. I'm sure it's in Italians and a lot of other, you know, cultures as well, which is like enormous hospitality that comes with being a person of color. You know, like when someone comes to our house, you get all the food, you know, like you're hungry. We're going to make a meal for you, right? You know, right in there. And there was something about that scene where, where they say this is more food and Indy kind of like understands and accepts that this is the case and he eats it graciously that we kind of all appreciated and still remember. And then it was, and then when they go to like, you know, the later scene of um, the monkey brains and everything, it was kind of funny, the the sort of opulence of it versus the poverty of it. And it, it is just, um, it kind of had cultural artifacts that I could relate to. Okay. And there's a sort of real Goonies vibe to Temple of Doom, particularly with Short Round, you know, with Ki Kwan sure. and it as well, but that really works. Um, so I kind of, Loved that one. None of us were offended by it. <laughs> That's uh, interesting to, to hear. Uh, Temple of Doom, you're right, is kind of usually seen as the outlier. Yeah. But weirdly, Temple of Doom is kind of almost the stereotype of like an Indiana Jones adventure of like urine walls and like you press the right yeah. brick and like that's all Temple of Doom. Kind of the very beginning of Raiders. Temple of Doom is what if Raiders' first 10 minutes was the entire movie? Yeah. And I think because that was so iconic, they might have gone that direction, which again, it's fine. I still like uh, Temple of Doom fine. It's just a, a less complex film than I thought it was when I was a child. You know, like playing in the playground, I like pretending I was the Hulk and I like walking around saying Kalima to everybody I knew who like walked away from me. Yeah, and it was yeah, great. Yeah, it was yeah. like there were badass Indians. Look, and I, I absolutely know the movie is problematic in terms of its representation. But there's this other thing, which is that when you're not represented on screen a lot, um, you know, like we obviously have Bollywood cinema as well that we can kind of watch as well. But But it was like a Spielberg movie with Indians in it. So for us, it was like, oh, we got to watch... Our representation, and we did think it was funny. It didn't feel mean-spirited to us. That's fair. Uh, well, to my family in particular. Uh, I know that there's been a lot written about uh, the, the sort of malignment of it, and I think in some places they weren't even permitted to be filming in India. Right. But um, it's a complicated relationship with that particular film, just because, again, it was one of the first times, one of the few times that we got to see someone that looked like us on screen, and they were kind of badasses, you know? Like, we were like, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting to watch. Right. You know, there's something I wanted to bring up. Uh, that watching the opening scene to Last Crusade with the late River Phoenix, yeah, all yeah. I could watch is, oh my God, th this is Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, he could have been Titanic. He could have done all of those roles. River Phoenix was the super heartthrob when we were a kid. But, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio, like, talented Johnny Depp, uh, talented heartthrob. Yeah. And he was getting all these accolades. And, like, Spielberg has picked him to be the young Indiana Jones. Yeah. And uh, he was also in Stand By Me, the, the breakout role. And uh, and then uh, he, uh, he overdosed... Uh, Actually, I think it was Johnny Depp's uh, nightclub, the yeah. Viper Room. Viper Room, yeah. But, but wow, what a great scene. It, it's the origin, of course, of Indy's fear of snakes. But there's a little thing I forgot about it, because he's in the cave earlier, and he picks up a snake, and he's like, whatever, it's just a snake, man. And he's not afraid of snakes until he has something traumatic happen, like falling into an entire box of snakes. That is terrifying. I like that we get to see the origin of his fear of snakes. It did occur to me, though, that like in that scene, we see the origin of his fear of snakes and where he gets the bullwhip and where he gets his uh, fedora and where he gets the infamous scar that Harrison Ford has in real life on his chin. Like he also says it belongs in a museum a lot. Like that's 
all of his origin story happened on this one day. One afternoon. Really, (laughs) exactly. And like Lucas says that he thought about doing the young Indiana Jones Chronicles like after this because he had so much fun doing the scene and everything. But like, even if that was a germ of a maybe of a seed of an idea, like maybe save some of that for the show. <laughs> I mean, they did do the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles 92 to 94. Uh, it was two seasons, I think a total of 28 episodes and then four like made for TV movies once it moved from ABC to like the family channel. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's strange to think about it, but there's more Young Indiana Jones screen time, I think, than regular Indiana Jones screen time which is a strange thought and i think it is canon yeah i believe it's still canon yeah. right al i think so uh i believe that in one episode because there, there were bookends with like old man indy like at the museum and then he would kind of talk to whoever about like the stories from his youth yeah. and i believe that in one episode he refers to his daughter so that has not been established in the movies that he has a daughter. You could say maybe he was referring to his daughter-in-law. Sometimes people like call their daughter-in-law their daughter just as a shorthand, maybe. And he had an eye patch. Old man Indy had an eye patch. <laughs> so he loses his eye in at uh, some point, Dial like, of Destiny. <laughs> right. Maybe that happens. Probably not. I'm guessing you don't see that in Dial of Destiny. But um, I don't think there is anything in there that ever conflicted from a canonical standpoint that I'm aware of. And Alan, you, you, you're the one who's read all the books as well, Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. So you are well-versed in the canon events. I, I of guess. Indiana Jones' life. I don't think the books are canon, though. Oh, they're not. I'm not sure. I mean, uh, similarly, I don't think anything in those books conflicts with anything in the movies, maybe in the TV show, possibly. Like, you know, the fact that he's married and then the wife dies, like... There's nothing in the movies where they say that he wasn't married before, you know, like it just right. could have not come up in conversation. I'm not really sure about the uh, canonicalness of the show, but I remember watching it and then quickly getting bored by it because I felt like it was too educational. You know, like maybe I was like getting to those teen years where I was like, wait a second, this is kind of <laughs> like learning. I don't know if I want to watch this show anymore. Uh, but I definitely, I definitely was a fan, at least in the beginning, at least the first season. So, like the the twist of like Elsa being a Nazi. I, I've seen this movie so many times that you know, watching it again the other night is like, yeah, of course. Also, she looks pretty Aryan, you know, like it's <laughs> not that much of a twist, I guess. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid. I was very confused about why Donovan kidnaps Henry. Like, that's not ever really explicitly explained. And, you know, like, if if you kind of think about it, Donovan needs the grail, or Donovan wants the grail. Henry's the expert. So why does he kidnap Henry and then have his son, who's not an expert, go looking for it? And I, I think right. I've I've sussed out the reason to it now, which is that Henry figured out that Elsa was a Nazi, and then he didn't want to help anymore and he sent the journal home and so then Donovan kidnapped him and said okay we'll get the next best thing but that's not (laughs) really clear in the movie and I do remember that that kind of confused me you know as a kid teenager or whatever 
I think you have it, but just a little bit more that I think Donovan was always being funded by Nazis. Right. They just didn't have an expert on this. And so they got Henry Jones Sr. But once he was suspicious, he was smart enough to mail his diary. Right, right. And Henry figures out that Elsa's a Nazi because she talks in her sleep. And like, that's a funny gag. And like, I get it. LOLOL. They slept together. (laughs) I was kind of thinking about it like the other day. Like, that's a little bit weird right like what is she (laughs) saying in her sleep like i get it that it's a joke and you're not supposed to think about this shit but like you know i'm a progressive i don't talk about aoc in my sleep yeah i I think (laughs) and it also it doesn't seem like she's a true believer like you have that scene later on where they go to the book burning and she is genuinely upset by the book burning because she was like she can see the tides of history are not going to be favorable to what they have been doing it's sort of a quality that I actually really like about this film, which is that a character like Elsa, who is ostensibly a key villain of the piece, is a complicated villain. You know, like she is part of the Nazi movement, but she's also she can it is an affront to her her idea that uh, antiquity should be preserved. I, I like that quality about it, uh, about the film, which is that, you know, like it is complicated, the 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 feelings that she has. and and a lot of um, the questions that the movie raises towards the end are kind of played out through her in interesting ways, which is that like the search for the cup is more than just uncovering the clues. It's about having faith in the cup or faith in the, in the story of the cup. So I think it's interesting to see how that all plays out through her and then through Indy and then, and also through Henry, as it turns out, um, because they're all kind of in the sort of a, a triangle uh, throughout the movie. Yeah, I think the actress that plays Elsa, uh, Alison Doody, uh, I think she has a, she does a great job. And can, can I stop you right there? I'm sorry to interrupt, but after our Temple of Doom episode, my sister sent me an angry text because I mentioned that she was afraid of gremlins. So I will redeem myself in my sister's eyes and tell you that every time we watch this movie and her name came up on screen, Alison Doody my sister would laugh for a solid five minutes <laughs> about the fact that her name is Allison Duty, And I think my sister will appreciate that I'm telling that story. So go, go on, James. I'm sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Well, that, that was a very necessary comment. Alex, Thank you. So I'm glad. Uh, but uh, that being said, I, I agree with you, Shahir. Uh, she's definitely complicated. She purposely kills Donovan at the end. Yeah. I did not figure this out when I was a kid. Yeah. But she purposely picks yeah. the wrong grail and gives Indy several nods that, that she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Like Indy knows that it's not the grail. Yeah. And uh, Donovan, uh, he's killed. And then she's immediately like, all right, well, now that we're rid of him, it would not be made of gold. Yeah. And then they figure it out. So like uh, Henry Sr. says, like she didn't really believe in what the grill stood for. She just kind of wanted it as an artifact Mm. and the, you know, the fortune and glory. Yeah, but but then I think the key factor in this movie is as well is the father-son relationship, right? Right. Matt, you sort of mentioned that that was complicated or, or not something you were into. No, when I was a kid, I didn't get it. I didn't understand right. it. I didn't. I didn't care. Were, were they not ripping out hearts? Were they not racing around in mine cars? I didn't give a shit. <laughs> but here, as an adult, when you actually like, you know, I don't know, think about your relationships with your parents and and with other people that that get a little bit more complex, it actually has a lot of meaning. Um, there's a lot here. There's a lot about following in sort of uh, the footsteps of your forebearers, of your parents, uh, and trying to either escape their shadow or follow so hard in their footsteps that you eclipse them or whatever. And it seems like that uh, 
Indy's been a little bit clawing at his dad's heels, and I like that sort of setup, especially as an adult. The Henry of it all with Elsa is interesting because you're right. Elsa does have a turn at the book burning. And then I think what actually puts her kind of over the edge to just find the thing and not go, you know, she's only like, you know, 40% not just, you know, whatever, (laughs) which, you know, I don't know about that. But (laughs) when uh, Henry gets shot, that is the thing that, because like, they had a, a somewhat of a relationship, even if it was kind of a um, to keep them placated or like something. But like, I think the whole thing is a slow push about how he, having her betray Donovan near the end. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I like the complexities of this movie because of kind of everything that everyone said so far. Every character feels much more real, more logically real and more emotionally complex than, say, a Willy or even a short round. Right, because I feel like Willie and Short Round, they're archetypes, they're cartoons. Yeah. Like, and you can have poignant moments with cartoons and, and with with things that are sort of one note. Um, but I feel like all of the character relationships in this film just feel more adult and feel more uh, complex and rewarding for you going through and watching the changes in certain characters. I, I just think that's something that, uh, as I've grown older, I've appreciated more and more. That's fair. And like, why do you think? Elsa needs to sleep with Henry and Indiana in terms of like the strategy of her like spy mission. I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like back in the days when this movie was made, that's kind of like what the evil lady does. And it's kind of like, okay, cool. I actually think it's um, it's in line with her character, which is that she's an opportunist. You know, she sees sleeping with Henry as a way to understand what he's been studying over time. Uh, and then she sees that when Indy comes around, it's also the same opportunity, which is that he has the, you know, yeah. he has the notebook and she is an opportunist. You know, she she goes along with the the march of the Nazis and wearing the swastika and that sort of thing. But she feels offended by the entire process um, because of the, the sort of the destruction of the antiquity. So I think she's an opportunist, but one that in a different scenario and maybe in different life circumstances would not be aligned with the Nazis and, you know, would be maybe working with Indy on a mission elsewhere. You know, I think, I do think she, she sort of, she sort of likes that. Maybe I, I want to make sure that her being an opportunist and her being a complex character doesn't excuse her character being a fucking Nazi. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's true, <laughs> but also. Right, right, right. E- even if you're half-hearted, you're still going along with, with it. I was wondering if, like, maybe she didn't need to sleep with them and she just kind of wanted to, and maybe she was a sex-positive Nazi. I don't know if that's <laughs> a, a, a thing. But I did appreciate, you know, in the world that we live in now, seeing the book-burning scene, and then Henry even has a line later where he calls it out, like, you Nazis should spend more time reading books instead of burning them. And, you know, people aren't burning books right now. They're banning them. Uh, there's some book burnings going on. Yeah, I mean, like, just the fact of, like, hey, just a friendly reminder, the people who burn books, who ban books, they are the bad guys. That was true in the 30s and the 40s and today, and it always will be. Just a friendly reminder for anyone who needed it. But I I love the father-son relationship because that, that to me, is the reason this movie is my favorite of the bunch. Um, I remember it when I watched it as a kid. What I love there is that Indy this character who we've grown to love over the course of two movies, you know, who is this sort of like incredible 
archaeologist, adventurer, in that sequence that we're seeing of, of all the things that make up Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, he's immediately put in his place by his father when he comes rushing home with the talisman. Right. You know, he's like, well, you're going to have to count in Latin right now. Right. Um, to put Spielberg in context at this time as well, you know, Spielberg has had a massive run of blockbusters uh, one after the other. As 1989 goes, he's starting to push into that era where films like Empire of the Sun, which came before this, and um, Schindler's List, which will come after this, are sort of becoming a little bit more poignant to him. But the interesting thing is that he manages to find the sort of interesting psychological tenets of even the blockbuster film. So, like, I've, you know, I've said this before, Jurassic Park is an amazing film about parenthood. Right. You know, if we just watched The Fablemans last year, is an interesting treatise or text on his relationship with his father, and it has the kind of complexities that that are interrelated with with that, which is that his father is a studious man, a serious man, a person who knows his craft better than anyone and knows it better than Indy. And in many ways, I think Henry kind of sees Indy's running and jumping and not spending time in the library as sort of like foolhardy, but at the same time also manages to one-up Indy whenever he can. Right. And, you know, there's the amazing scene in the Zeppelin where he says, we didn't, we haven't spoken for 10 years. And he's, you know, it's like, you left just as you were getting interesting. Right. And it's like this amazing sequence where they're really just hashing it out. And it's, it's, it's really honest and it feels real and earned. And, you know, the movie goes out of its way to sort of set up that dynamic so that the conclusion of the movie really is an acceptance between the father and the son. It's not about the grail. You know, it's just these fa this father and son kind of finding a way to accept who each other is. You know, like at the beginning of the movie, uh, he calls him Junior. And then at the end of the movie, he finally accepts him as Indiana, right. um, which is a beautiful, touching moment. Right. Named after the dog, of Named course. Named after the dog. Um, but I think... That relationship and the way it's played out is really beautiful. And in yeah. amongst that, the kind of the wham-bam blockbuster of it all is, is still incredible to this day. I love the little details of this film. The airplane going through the the tunnel, being destroyed, and then having that moment where they kind of just look over at the pilot and the pilot looks over to them and yes. it's like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like, like the fact that um, Henry defeats a, an airplane with his umbrella in the tank as well. I think the tank sequence in this is thrilling to watch, and it has more turns than I think you know most movies have today. It's like, oh, this is this part that's going to be added to it. We're going to put the rock in here. We're going to see the guy inside with the cannon. We've got Henry inside with a pin. You know, they've got the great gag. The, the pin is mightier than the sword. Right. And then it's topped off by, like, Henry finally accepting that he might have lost Indy and he comes back. Right. It's a huge moment for Indy and Henry just kind of like brushes it off, even though we know it was tragic for him as well. I, I, I think the thing that makes this work in amongst all the spectacle is how beautifully touching all those moments can be in a, in a way that very few directors can do. And Spielberg really knows that at the heart of the story, I need to infuse these moments and they need to be true and honest because that's what will make this film work. I, I mean, I think it's it's sort of like a Spielberg staple, like the father-son yeah. stories. And, you know, E.T. is a lot about parenthood. And, it's an abandoned father. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and also, three of the Indiana Jones movies have had a father-son type relationship. You know, like Short Round and Indy have yeah. a father-son type relationship. Obviously, this movie 
Crystal Skull, uh, you know, tries. Wait, Alan, Alan, by Crystal Skull, do you mean Indiana Jones and the Staff of Kings? (laughs) Matt, I am right there with you, man. I am right there with you. Uh, Okay. But, like, of those three movies, you know, this one nails it. Like, let's be honest. Like, this is the pinnacle of the father-son dynamic. And in Temple of Doom, like, there's a moment where, like, Short Round kind of, like, mimics the way Indy is kind of, like, sitting when he puts his head on his hands. <laughs> and that's, like, a shot-for-shot thing that you see in Jaws. This is clearly an important theme for yeah. Spielberg, and it can get a little old at times. But he does. I, I agree with you, Shahir. He nails it. He absolutely nails it. Yeah. You know, like, if you look at the behind-the-scenes interviews as well, he believes it to be... The reason to do the movie is not to do the spectacle. It's to infuse the spectacle with real emotional depth. Right. That's what makes Jurassic Park so good. It's what makes War of the World so good. It's what makes Minority Report so good. It's what makes this this so great as well. I think you watch a movie like uh, The Last Crusade and you look at even just the action, and I agree completely with everyone's, what everyone's saying. It also makes me incredibly sad how little modern action beats mean in most films. Yeah. There's so much emotional resonance in a film like The Last Crusade throughout its incredible spectacle. I mean, it's probably a mix of everything. It's probably a mix of practicality versus the reasoning why things are happening. Because it's not like in any of the sequences, the tank sequence or anything like that, you think Indiana Jones is going to die. Right. Like, that's not what it's about. There's just something because you they develop the characters enough and they make them complex and real enough where you then put them in real feeling action situations as opposed to super quick hyper cuts of like of action to hide that you can't do the actual thing you're doing. And uh, it makes a lot of modern action feel far more hollow, at least I find. I think that's fair. And can we just talk about Robert Edison as the Grail Knight? That is a character so that good. even though I didn't <laughs> like this movie when I was a child, that character burned into my memory. Because up to that point, we'd seen what I would consider vaguely mystic powers from people that are living or objects, right? This is like an eternal dude who's hanging out in a cave. As a child, the fact that there was just like ever-present night just chilling, guarding these grails, like... I don't know. I just and the actor did a phenomenal job, uh, and I, I haven't seen him in much anything else. He he did a couple other things, but nothing really huge. It was supposed to be Lawrence Olivier, but he was too old and sick and ill to do it. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, but this guy did a great job. Who needs Olivier anyway? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the whole last act where it's like the three tests that you have to go through to get the Grail, and then even when you when you're in the room with the Grail, it's about knowing what would the cup of a carpenter look like? And the quest for immortality is is a futile one because it's the knight who has achieved immortality, but it can only be within this cave. Like you can you cannot leave the cave uh, with the with the grail. So it's a futile quest at, at all. Right. You know, it also gets into this idea that Indy and Henry are really knights searching for the grail as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a beautiful continuation of that story. I got to ask though, at this point, Indiana has seen more evidence than any human being that the religious stories are 100% true in his world and universe. Right. Like, he would be, you know, front and center at church or, you know, like right. like on a street corner, like getting everyone to read the Bible or something at this point, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's the classic uh, problem. Like, why was uh, Scully from uh, X-Files, why was she a skeptic 
so many <laughs> yeah, years. Right. Yeah, it's the same thing. Um, I do like the little references he'll say, like uh, when he says, uh, this is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. And El- Elsa's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and then you hear the music sting from Raiders. The yeah. arc theme. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be shocking. I'm going to be very surprised at what everyone says. But, uh, Matt, what do you think? Uh, does this film stand the test of time? Not only, James, does these, this film stand the test of time, it makes others not. Whoa. Like, I just watched for the first time on a plane, uh, Extraction, the Chris Hemsworth <laughs> film, which has, I would say, some phenomenal action sequences. They mean nothing. I feel like most modern day action means nothing. Even my beloved Fast and the Furious franchise, <laughs> that's not meaning. That's memeing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not the same. There's not an ounce of family in the Fast <laughs> and the Furious franchise in the same way that there is in this one movie. But they say it so much. Yeah. They say it so much. It's, yeah, it's not meaning. It's memeing. Right. So I think that this movie is actually a really wonderful litmus test for other films and whether or not they could stand the test of time because you put almost any modern action film up against this one and you're going to be like, huh, if I had to pick one to stay, uh, it's probably going to be Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. So yeah, I mean, yes, the short answer, yes, it does maintain and stand the test of time. All right. Shahir, what do you think? Uh, it's it's uh, unequivocal in... in how uh and i guess this is what makes spielberg spielberg is that his movies don't date in the way you know that almost any other uh person working in you know at the scale that he does you know has i don't love the fablemans by the way as a film oh it was so um, bad i hated it <laughs> i really hated it <laughs> but it's interesting to think about what the fablemans is saying about spielberg's relationship to why he makes the movies he makes agree and it's evident he is uniquely able to funnel his personal view on humanity into his films, even when they are of such a scale and such a franchise exercise as Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. But he is able to funnel that in. And he doesn't always get it right. You know, like Crystal Skull, it is what it is, but it's, you know, it doesn't play. But Last Crusade, I think Sean Connery and Indiana Jones absolutely make this what it is. And to the point where... You know, I think we have gotten into a situation now where what we do is we evaluate the spectacle on the spectacle's terms. What this film sort of makes you realize or think about is that even if the shot of the tank falling down the cliff doesn't look that great, it doesn't matter because what I care about is the response that Henry is going to have to seeing that tank fall down the cliff. Yeah. You know, and um, the effects of Donovan's hair falling out doesn't look great. You know, I think one of the other things is that the critique of this film is that it's it's sort of playing the old hits from Raiders as well. You know, it's like a lot of the same devices. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because what makes it work is that the interactions between Henry uh, and Indiana are so rich and real and feel earned that without a doubt it stands the test of time and it always will. This is a movie that's going to last, that's going to outlive us all. Yeah. Two for two. Um, Al, what do you think? Uh, yes, of course, this movie stands the test of time. I love it for all of the reasons that Matt and Jay you just said. It's also, I think, very funny. Like, it, yeah. it has a lot of, like, wit in it, which I appreciate. I think the funniest moment is when Indy is talking about how 
Brody has completely disappeared because he speaks 11 languages and knows every <laughs> custom. One of the best cuts yeah, ever. Yeah, it's a smash cut to him <laughs> just being like, hello, does anyone speak English? Oh, my word. He asks if anyone speaks ancient Greek. <laughs> I mean, that, it is just really, really funny. That actor, Denholm Elliott, is amazing. Yeah. I love him. He's a great character. But yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. I agree with you, Shahir, about the kind of playing the hits sort of vibe. And I don't think that really bothered me as a kid when it was like, yeah, you know, I'll watch whichever movie is on Channel 11 this Sunday or whichever VHS I grab. Watching these three in a row, you know, over the course of three weeks. Yeah, it does feel like, all right, they're just doing Raiders again, but with a couple of little twists and tweaks here and there. But I I say that as like a very light criticism because it's sort of I think meant to almost be cyclical like this is what Indiana Jones does he goes on these adventures it's the Nazis oh no he's gotta you know stop them in some way also if you look at this movie as it was in fact designed to be the final Indiana Jones movie then you're not just like being repetitive for the sake of being repetitive or because you're being unoriginal, then it's callbacks. Then you are tying things up and you're ending things in a way that makes narrative sense. And so it doesn't really annoy you that it's a little bit familiar. I think it gets a pass. If they did 17 of these movies and every single one followed the same formula, then yes, that would be a a different story. Neither here nor there about the movie standing the test of time, but there's a character named Elsa and Henry's famous last words to Indy, so he doesn't follow Elsa are let it go. Mm. In a post-Frozen world, (laughs) that made me chuckle as a father, yada, yada, yada. Uh, But yes, this movie absolutely 1000% stands the test of time. James, surely you agree. Please tell me you do. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've said this since Raiders. I think this might be my favorite of the uh, original three films. There's a couple of criticisms I have of it. Um, yeah, some of the green screen uh, it doesn't uh, hold up as well. But I-, I agree with you, Shayer. It doesn't really matter. Some of the comedy, which I agree with you, Al, this is a funny film. Um, some of the comedy doesn't work for me. The uh, stamp in the Venice library never worked for me. I never oh, I thought that gag hilarious. is funny. <laughs> I-, I think it works on a movie theater speaker. I don't think it works when you're holding a stamp in your hand. That joke, to me, even as a kid, didn't make sense because he's hearing the bang from somewhere else. But, (laughs) you know, there is a lot of rehashing of the first film, but this is exactly how to make callbacks to a first film but have something totally different because the main difference is the dad. If uh, Henry Jones Sr. was not in this film and it was yet another indie uh, searching for a religious artifact, it would be kind of the same thing. You know, kind of, it could still be good. It, you know, it could, you could have uh, fun. I've seen this all before. Nothing new, no chances. I also, I want to say the title of this film is so good, even though in a little bit it doesn't hold up too well. I mean, they're going after the Holy Grail. I mean, it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mean, Crusades have, you know, people are learning that they were not just this uh, righteous uh, march into the Holy Land. Yeah, the Crusades fucking sucked. (laughs) (laughs) It was not the kind of thing you would name it today. But uh, there's some stuff in this film I just love. Um, 
I do love that all of the quote-unquote miracles in this film are kind of a little bit explained scientifically. Right, yeah. It's not just a spirit chopping off their head. It's actually blades. And you're probably setting it off by some mechanism that's not explained. Um, there's a quick shot that we can tell that some of the, uh, the the words of God, Jehovah, are propped up by pillars. So that that's how some of them stand up. Although I never understood how uh, Andy explained to Elsa and Donovan how to get past that one. That wasn't obvious. They, they watch it. You can see them. They're kind of like peering in. Oh, okay. They, they watch it then. All right. So uh, the third one, you can tell it, it's actually like there's some sort it's of like transparent trick, yeah. bridge there. And I was always thinking, you know, the supernatural part is the part once we get into the room. But the night, you know, it's not really immortality. It's just incredibly slow aging because the guy's old. He's right. old as fuck. Yeah. And even uh, Indiana Jones, he says earlier to Donovan like in his office, he's like, I've heard this story. Uh, two of the knights come uh, 130 years later. They come out. Like They obviously were, were sitting there with the grail and you know waiting. No one came. It just makes you age extremely slowly. So I like that little thing there. I, I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to go to the country Jordan, but um, no. the temple, uh, that's a real place. Mm. Uh, in Jordan, there's an entire city uh, called Petra, and an entire city is carved into that mountain. It is in a canyon, but it's really cool, and it's a great place to, to visit if you do have the uh, opportunity to do it. The score is as good as always. Um, one criticism I did notice in the film, I think there might be one too many chases in the film. I think maybe, maybe the motor chase against the Nazis where he kind of picks off the bikes one by one. The movie, it doesn't necessarily need it. It's fine. I'm just trying to find something that uh, I can nitpick on it. Um, but overall, yes, this film stands the test of time. But um, we did not do a four-part uh, series of this, even though uh, 2008's uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull does meet our 15-year uh, criteria for a movie that we'll review and see if it stands up. Uh, but Al asked me, and he said, uh, you know, I don't want to do it. And we do have a policy, the two of us, that uh, one person can veto any movie, which <laughs> is why we'll, I'm only going to probably get one more Star Trek out of him. But um, <laughs> but for this film and this trilogy, we're going to end it at the uh, Last Crusade. We've done movies that you haven't liked, and some of those are some fun episodes. But why aren't we reviewing this film okay so i am in camp with you matt where i would just like to think that crystal skull does not exist right when you say crystal skull <laughs> we're talking about uh lego indiana jones 2 the adventure continues right from 2009 right 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 <laughs> okay just to your point james we do have a rule about we only do movies that are 15 years old. We also have a rule where we only do three episodes about any given series and we don't do more. So if we're going to have one rule that we're going to follow, we should have another rule that we follow. Like you can't make exceptions to one rule and not the other. 
Well, first of all, I didn't know that that second uh, three-part rule was a hard, fast rule. <laughs> I'm just learning that right now. Sure, we've never and done more of than all, three. We easily could have done a two-parter today because we did do all the Rockies. Right. I guess we did the Rockies in three. We did three episodes, episodes and and like the four Superman movies and the four Batman movies. So yes, we could have. The real reason why I didn't want to do that is because I don't want to fucking talk about Crystal Skull. I don't want to have anything to do with this movie. And you you just touched on something right there, James, which is that sometimes when we do an episode about a movie that I hate, you like it. I don't know if you've said it on the podcast, but you've definitely told me in real life that your favorite episode of The Test of Time is Pearl Harbor. And when I talk about Pearl Harbor, I get real <laughs> fucking angry and my fists clench and that little vein starts throbbing on the side of my forehead. That's, and it's that's fun. great podcast uh, content, though. Right. And, and I get that. <laughs> it's great. And if you want to watch, uh, listen to a great episode of The Test of Time, <laughs> I am plugging the Pearl Harbor episode. But, but just so you know, James, I did not deny you that kind of episode. I didn't. Crystal Skull doesn't make me angry like that. So just for context, when they announced a fourth Indiana Jones movie, I was on top of the world. I was giddy. I I mean, I was thrilled in a way that I cannot put into words. I was so excited. I read every interview. I watched every clip. When the teaser came out, when the trailer came out, I sat in my office, me and my buddy Mark Lauks, we went over that trailer frame by frame, looking for every clue, every Easter egg. I could not have been more excited for a fourth Indiana Jones movie. Like, I love these movies. There's going to be a fourth one? Are you kidding me? This is the most amazing thing ever. James, I saw that movie in the theater with you. We saw it uh, together in Queens at the Whitestone (laughs) Cinema. Uh, I live nearby. I invited our friends Darren and Mailer over to our apartment. My wife and I, uh, we had the guys over. We watched all three of the original trilogy. We had pizza. We had snacks. I think you were busy working or something, James. You joined us at the theater. So we saw all four movies that day. I was that fucking excited for Crystal Skull. And from the second the Paramount logo dissolved into an anthill, I was like, what the fuck is this? And for two and a half hours and after we left that theater, I was not angry. I was not mad. I was disappointed. And as a father, I know that's the most cutting thing you can say. But honestly, like that movie doesn't make me angry. It doesn't piss me off. It doesn't fill me with rage. It doesn't make the vein in my forehead throb. It just makes me sad. It makes me really, really sad. And if we had done an episode about it, I wouldn't be like ranting and raving like a lunatic. I just would have been like... Yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 awful. I don't I don't know why they did any of it. I would have loved hearing that for an hour, but I also think it is a shame that you're not even willing to see if the movie has changed at all in 15 years. But you don't want to see it. I respect it. Like I said, I watched it uh, before this episode, uh, and it, it's it's not as bad as I remember it being. Okay. Uh, but it is not a good movie. And I, and I recall my friend Andrew Bertel when we went and saw it at, in New Zealand. At, at the end of it, he walked out and he was just like, well, that just happened. It was, you know, like that kind of feeling about it. It was like, well, it happened, 
I don't have nothing to say about it, but it certainly happened. We're talking about Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, the 1999 <laughs> LucasArts game, right? I did play that game, and that was Lucasfilm's uh, or LucasArts' attempt to rip off Tomb Raider, and unsuccessfully. <laughs> but um, I will say about the uh, Crystal Skull, the trailer, because I used to watch it, I do remember watching it and being very excited about it, because that had such a great ending to the trailer. Shia LaBeouf goes, you're an archaeologist? No, you're a professor. Aren't you a professor? Yeah, exactly. I think it's that. I think he goes, you're a professor part-time. And then it's a dun dun and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It was a fantastic trailer for what it's worth. And I would have liked to see it again. I did not watch it um, specifically for this uh, podcast, but I would have liked to have seen it just to have seen, you know, especially after the last three to have gone, hmm, that's why they made those decisions. But hmm, maybe that's where it didn't work. You've inspired me. I think I will go back and watch Indiana Jones and his desktop adventures, the 1996 <laughs> Windows game uh, that I feel like I, I really missed some canon points there. I'm going to go back. I did have that game as well. And that's a game that kind of randomized itself and tried to tell you that there's like 10,000 ways to play. But it was basically the same game over and yeah. over. Yeah, but yeah. it was fun. Look, I have not seen Crystal Skull since that day in the theater 15 years ago. I was actually planning to rewatch it last Friday night. I did it because he's fine. He's okay. He's upstairs resting right now. That night, my dog escaped from the backyard, ran into traffic, got hit by a car, and I spent that night in the emergency animal hospital. Again, he's fine. He's okay. Hashtag prayers for copper. He's all right. But... I will say this. You want me to say something nice about Crystal Skull? I would have rather sat down on the couch and watched that movie Ah. than watch my dog get hit by a car. That's about as nice of a thing as I can say about that movie. High praise. Really. I think that is is true. I mean that very literally. I can't think of any other nice thing to say about it. But Matt and Shahir. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming back to talk about Last Crusade and all things indie and and all of his video game adventures. Yeah, there's three films and a bunch of video games that are, have middling quality, depending on what you're doing. Some are great, some are terrible. Yeah, and the books. Don't forget the books and oh, the, the Young books Indiana and Jones. The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yep, absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to the fourth live-action Harrison Ford film. I think it'll be an interesting watch. We haven't decided if we're doing Dial of Destiny, right? We haven't actually made a call on whether we're going to do it on our show. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, this has got me primed. I, I've, you know, I've always wanted another, like I said, another film after Last Crusade, and I feel like this could be that film. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing going for it right now is James Mangold, mm. to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I will say fourth film, fifth film, I'm glad they exist. But if they weren't made, the final shot of Last Crusade is almost the perfect way to end any series. It is a masterclass, literally riding off into the sunset. Yeah. yeah. Horizon's at the top. Is that right? Or is the horizon at the bottom? I forget. The horizon is, is at the bottom of the frame. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yes, exactly. I understood <laughs> that Fableman's reference. And the movie's called The Last Crusade. And it was. It was the end. It was the perfect ending. It is an amazing way to end the Indiana Jones cinematic universe. 
But let's just give another plug for the only podcast about movies. Where can you find that show? Oh, I mean, you can find it wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Uh, you can search for the only podcast about movies. Or you can go to onlymoviepodcast.com. That has the links to everything. I mean, I'm going to do some hardcore plugging right now. You can also, uh, if you want to listen to it ad-free, we have ads now. Nice. Mm-hmm. I know we've done like four ads. Uh, you could go listen to it over on Nebula. Use the, I think, promo code TOPAM, I think is a thing. Go watch, listen over there ad-free, along with a bunch of other good content. Uh, where else? Oh, only movie pod on Twitter. Yep, we're usually pretty active on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, talk to us, we'll, we'll talk back at you. You might not like what we say. That, that's where we first connected was on Twitter. That's right. And now look at Twitter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going great there. We got to get on Blue Sky, but I don't know. We'll see if that even works. If you're rooting for the Nazis in this movie and you think they got a bad rap, hang out on Twitter. You'll love it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you guys again for, for joining us. Next time, Matt, they live. You got it. And in 13 years, 12 years, whatever it has to be, cats. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, it can't be worse than Crystal Skull, I am sure. Wait, do you mean Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade, the graphic adventure released uh, for PC in 1989? Yes, that is in okay, fact what great. I meant. Yes, that is it. I am, I am learning there were a lot of video games. I'm very <laughs> curious to go check them out now. Really? Some of them are really good. The later it gets, the worse they get, but some are really good. I hope there's like a Sierra point-and-click style Indiana Jones. There is. There yeah. is. That's Fate of Atlantis. So Fate of Atlantis and I believe Infernal Machine is also no that. Infernal Machine was uh, Tomb Raider. Oh, to, that was then they, uh, then they did uh, another it was one. Last Crusade, yeah, Last Crusade was point and click as well. Staff of Kings might have gone back to it. There's one other one they Maybe. like went back there might to be. it. Yeah, right. Anyway, but uh, Fate of Atlantis was fantastic. Yeah. Great story. Great clicking. Great clicking. Would click again. Uh, all right well thank you again shahir thank you again matt this has been awesome that's gonna do it for us this week next week we're talking about a movie that you picked james called blank check what on earth have you roped me into um i want to get it before it's taken off disney plus and uh we'll talk about that next week oh i vaguely remember a kid with a backwards cat on the poster of the blank check movie Oh yeah, it's not just any kid. It's a super 90s kid. And he's the uh, youngest brother, uh, Andrew, from Family Ties. I remember loving that movie as a child. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. Well, (laughs) we'll have to listen to our episode next week to hear us talk about it. Until then, we are at Tested Tie Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We want to hear what you guys think about indie. Any indie movie, any indie game, anything indie related. What did you think about The Last Crusade? Let us know. You can also email us. We are the Tested Time Podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next time, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I wave like it's video. <laughs> <laughs>